Not much, he was sure. But he had to get Amanda out of there. There had been talk of a wedding, and Trent was pretty damned sure Amanda was supposed to be the bride, whether she wanted to be or not. Chapter One I lay as still as possible, not wanting him to know I was conscious. I could feel the slight indention on the bed as he moved toward me. I steeled myself for the inevitable. Finally, I felt the finger on my eyelid, pulling it open. Doc, he said, you wake. I grabbed him, tossed him to the bed, and began to righteously tummy-gum him to smithereens. From the kitchen, Jean called. He just ate milk. You keep that up, he's going to vomit on the bed. Johnny Mac, as I call him, was laughing fit to beat the band. For such a little one, he had a deep husky laugh, and it consumed him. If he was laughing, nothing else existed on this earth. All the books say two-year-olds are pretty much self-absorbed little creatures, and Johnny Mac was no exception to that rule. When he wanted something, he wanted it right that second, whether it was a cookie or some sugar. The kissing kind, that is. I stopped the tummy gumming and pulled him under the covers with me, trying to ignore the more, da, more. Settle down, Peach, I said. Mama's going to get P.O.'d if you go yucky on the bed. Now, there's a lot to be said for fatherhood, but I gotta admit I never saw myself in my whole near sixty years saying something about going yucky on the bed, or those other parents of a two-year-old lines like, Don't eat the cat's tail, don't put those raisins up your nose, and I told you once, I told you a thousand times, don't play with your winky in front of Aunt Jewel. But somehow... When you've got a two-year-old, saying those things becomes second nature, and you don't even really see the strangeness of them until you stop to think about it. Johnny Mac yawned and laid his head down on my shoulder, his little hand creeping up to stroke what remained of my hair. You sleepy peach, I asked. No, he said, a thumb heading for his mouth, his favorite sleep aid. We lay there for a while, the two of us, smelling my breakfast in the kitchen being fried up, and talking a little, as we do. Johnny Mac was into complete sentences now, but sometimes they didn't make a lot of sense to anybody but me and Jean. The phone rang, and Jean picked it up in the kitchen. My wife's been on crutches since she was a kid and contracted polio, but it's amazing how fast she can get around. After a quick second or two, she said, Milt? It's for you. It was Saturday morning, and one thing I sure as thunder didn't want to do on a Saturday morning was take any calls from the office. I'm sheriff of Prophecy County, Oklahoma, and a call on a Saturday morning more than likely means something bad's happened that I'm going to have to take care of. I pulled my pants off the trunk at the foot of the bed and slipped them on, never been big on talking on the telephone in my underwear. When I picked up the phone, Jean hung up the extension in the kitchen. Go back, I said. Milt? Yeah, I said, wondering who it was. It was a woman's voice, but it wasn't Gladys, our clerk down at the sheriff's department, because she didn't work Saturdays. 
And it wasn't Jasmine Bodine, my one and only female deputy, because Jasmine's Eeyore voice I would have recognized in a heartbeat. For one thing, the milt would have been about five syllables long. Who's this? I asked. Milt, it's Laura. I sat there on the side of the bed for I don't know how long, my hand clenching the receiver like I could choke the life out of it. Yeah? I said carefully. Milt, I really need your help. How's that? Trent's gone. I think he's been kidnapped. Trent was Laura's oldest son, and I had to do some calculating to figure out how old he'd be by now, well into his teens. Teenagers do that, I said. I think he's been kidnapped, she said again. Uh-huh, I said. And that's when she began to cry. I hung up the phone and walked into the kitchen. Johnny Mac was on the floor in the breakfast room, running toy trucks back and forth. Jean was just serving up my eggs sunny side up the way I like them. Who was that? she asked. I took a breath and let it out. Laura, I said. Jean just gave me a look and went on with the breakfast, using one crutch to make her way to the table. In the almost three years Jean and I had been together, I'd told her a thing or two about Laura Johnson. Some of this and some of that. But I never did tell her that for a while there, Laura Johnson had been the air I breathed, the water I drank, the food I ate. I never did tell her there were times when I thought I might die if I didn't hear her voice or see her face or smell her scent. That touching her hand had been like two hours of foreplay with a mortal woman. But women are funny creatures. They've got senses men just don't have. And one of those senses is the one that tells them when another woman is or was something really special. There's no doubt in my mind that Jean knew exactly what had gone on between Laura and me and knew exactly how much I'd hurt. Laura and I hadn't lasted long, and when it ended, it had ended just about as bad as something like that could possibly end, and Jean knew about that for sure because I'd told her. Jean set her own plate down at the breakfast table, juice, coffee, unbuttered wheat toast, and a slice of melon, while I sat down in front of my once-a-month allotment of bacon, grits, fried eggs, and buttered toast. She didn't look at me. What did she want? Jean finally asked, still not looking at me. Got some trouble with her oldest boy, I said, my eyes on my eggs. Hmm, Jean said. Um, I said. Johnny Mac crawled under the breakfast table and began playing with my feet and giggling. Gonna get you, I said, but he and I both knew my heart wasn't in the play. John? Out from under the table, Jean said. He scooted out and crawled into her lap, his hand heading for the jelly on the table. What's the problem? Jean asked. Huh? I said, like the subject had escaped my mind. With Laura's oldest. Oh, probably run away. She thinks he's been kidnapped. What makes her think that? Jean asked, like we discussed Laura Johnson and her thought process every day of the damn week. I shrugged. This and that, I said. 
Jean didn't say anything, and I realized a little late that I shouldn't have said that. Too noncommittal, like I was keeping something from her. So I said, something about hanging out with the usual wrong crowd and then not showing up for a couple of days. Hum, Jean said, which, when you think about it, was better than not saying anything at all. Then she stood up and began clearing off the table, and I took Johnny Mac upstairs to the playroom. The playroom is on the second floor of our house and is this big windowed room that looks out over Twin Peaks, straight into Tejas County, at least twenty miles away. It's a real pretty view, no matter what the weather, and right then the weather was about as nice as it could get. It was late April, and almost everything was in bloom and greening up really nice. Being a Yankee, my wife was into bulb flowers, and from all the windows in that second-floor room, Johnny Mac and I could look down on the new buds of irises, crocuses, tulips, and the like. They'd sizzle up in the heat of an Oklahoma summer, but Jean never stopped trying to bring a little Midwest to her new home. The room itself is comfortable, with an oversized sofa and chairs, little beanbag chairs that just fit Johnny Mac and lots of toy baskets, although the toys were rarely actually in the baskets, more like scattered around the room. Johnny Mac's plastic indoor slide and jungle gym were in the playroom, along with an old TV and VCR and his favorite tapes, an old record player and his kid records and the like. I sat in an old rocker and watched my son play, trying not to think about my first time in this room, when the house had belonged to Laura Johnson and we'd sat up here while her kids were away and watched a storm work its way toward us from Teos County. I...